And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry. I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, you know, I could have kicked myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari. And this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Dana Andrews stars as Matt Savetic, double agent working for our government on I Was a Communist for the FBI from 1953. Then Ann Southern stars as beautiful Maisie Revere on The Adventures of Maisie from 1950. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. You kind of remind me of Ann Southern. Really? Why? Yeah. Well, because uh, she was beautiful and you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And you're a little uh, kind of wacky like okay. this uh, character. Well, you're a little wacky. I think everyone's a little wacky. In a wacky. nice way, in a good way. Sure, of you're course. You're wacky in a good way. Yeah. You're smart. And she was smart. Okay. And she was uh, kind of a go-getter. Yeah. You know, on this series, and it's all it reminds sounds me of like you. me. Yeah, yeah sure. sounds. So we're going to listen to that a little later in the show. Right, I will be listening. But right now, it's time for I was a communist for the FBI. This was a spy series. Came to radio in 1952, and Dana Andrews starred as Matt Savetic. Now Savetic infiltrated the Communist Party in the United States and reported every move back to the FBI for nine years. This was a very cool series, very tense series. You will be on the edge of your seat listening to it. Let's go back to May 17, 1953, for The Red Octopus, starring Dana Andrews. Here's part one of I Was a Communist for the FBI. I Was a Communist for the FBI. Starring Dana Andrews in an exciting tale of danger and espionage, I Was a Communist for the FBI. Many of the incidents in the story you're about to hear are based on the actual records and authentic experiences of Matt Savetic, who for nine fantastic years lived as a communist for the FBI. Here is our star, Dana Andrews, as Matt Savetic. A night of terror that stretched out for nine long years. That was my experience as a communist for the FBI. I feared and hated every minute of it. But believe me, mister... You'd fear and hate it a lot more if the communists ever got control of this country. Because fear and hate is the basis of my story. And it may surprise you to learn that without knowing it, you're helping to finance your own terror. Now, here is Dana Andrews as Matt Savetic, undercover man. This story from the confidential file is marked The Red Octopus. After the comrade has given me my orders and left, chair and sit down heavily. I've been scared before, but never as badly as this. I'm under orders to report to the Communist Control Committee in New York. And the Control Committee is the American Communist Secret Police, the dispensers of party discipline. 
Later, when I have my nerves under better control, I phone the FBI and arrange to be picked up for a conference. I'm at the designated corner long before the agent drives up and stops in front of me. Get in, Matt. Thanks. What's wrong, boy? You look as though you've been in a fight. Oh, just nervous. I cut myself shaving. Hey, Red Control Committee wants me in New York. When? Immediately. And I've been ordered to advise all my local contacts not to worry about me. I may be gone indefinitely. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> There's the understatement of the week. It sounds as though I've slipped somewhere. And the comrades are going to give me the works. Yeah? Well, you got any suggestions? No, Matt. I'm going to pass the buck to you. If you accept this party invitation, it'll have to be as a volunteer. You mean I have a choice? Well, the Bureau isn't going to order you to commit suicide. Somehow I don't find that very consoling. But naturally, Matt, if you do decide to follow party orders and meet with the control committee, our New York office will give you all possible protection. In other words, you really want me to go? There's always the chance you might pick up some vital information. Yeah, I know. You think it over, Matt. If you decide against going, nobody in the Bureau will think any less of you. But naturally, it'll end your value as an undercover man. Yeah. Well, let me out of the next corner, will you? Sure. You made up your mind already? No, that's, that's why I want out. Maybe if I walk around a little, I can think this out better. Right. You let me know what you decide as soon as possible, Matt? Yeah, I'll call you in the morning. Good. I have a long ways to walk back to my place, but even walking can't help the kind of thinking that I have to do. Maybe the control committee isn't just setting me up to knock me down. Maybe I'm going to be given an assignment that will be vitally important to the fight against communism. Maybe I'll be given an assignment that looks important, but is really a trap. Maybe. Maybe I'm going nuts. I'm all the way home, and I haven't decided what to do. Then I open the door of my room... And the decision is made for me. Comrade Svetik? Yes? I am Comrade Miller, Comrade Svetik. Sent by the control committee to escort you back to New York. Escort me to New York? You didn't get the orders? Well, yes, but just an hour or so ago. And they didn't say anything about anyone coming for me. I know. But recent disturbing information leaks prompted the committee to take no chances in this case. Well, I, I was supposed to notify all my local contacts that I, I might be away indefinitely. You can write them from New York. Now, please get your things together. I have reservations for us on a plane that leaves a little after midnight. A plane? I was going to take a bus. A bus makes too many stops. I see. Well, it sounds as though I've suddenly become pretty important to the control committee. Hmm. Very important, Comrade Svetik. <laughs> When Miller says that, I want to slug him and run. But where can a communist run and find safety? Besides, Miller's a big man, a real control committee goon. And if I didn't knock him out with the first punch, my trying to escape would convict me of every crime in the party book. So I pack and go to the airport with Miller, without a chance to notify the FBI that I'm leaving. Aboard the plane, I try to find out why I'm being taken to New York. But Miller won't talk. The first information I get comes to me in the bleak, soundproofed interrogation chamber of the control committee, 
where Comrade Miller leaves me with Comrade Rice. Sit down, Comrade Fettick. I don't mind standing, Comrade Rice. Suit yourself. What's all this about? First, I get orders to report to the control committee, then before I can follow the orders, I'm picked up and brought here. This is a very serious matter, Comrade Svetik. It was decided that we must move quickly and take no chances. I've been through that with Comrade Miller. What's the charge? Charge, Comrade? Why, there's no charge at the moment. Oh. Then why have I been hauled around like a party criminal? Believe me, Comrade, we don't transport party criminals by plane. You're here for an extremely delicate assignment. An assignment. It catches me by surprise and I sink into the chair I'd refused just a moment ago. And I look up and I see Comrade Rice watching me closely. I tell him, I'm sorry, I suddenly felt very tired. Don't apologize, Comrade Svetik. Here at the control committee, we see that reaction frequently. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. As for your assignment, Comrade Svetik, uh, what do you know about a Comrade Hillman? Hillman? Why, well, I know that there's one who heads the party's commercial enterprises. That's the one. Have you ever had any contact with him? No. Why? We have reason to believe that Comrade Hillman has been injuring the party by using his position for his own financial interests. In fact, we're sure of it. But we can't prove it. So? So we brought you to New York to get that proof. I thought Hillman operated out of New Orleans. He does, normally, but he has such great organizational ability that we brought him to New York to direct our operation against the waterfront. Now he seems to feel that he's bigger than the party. How's that? Hillman can give you the details. He's too useful to destroy, but he has to be controlled. We're assigning you to him as his assistant. Get concrete evidence which will justify our disciplining him. Am I the first to be given this assignment, Comrade Rice? No, there have been others. The waterfront is not a drawing room, Comrade Svetik. There's always violence there. And Hillman's assistants are always in the middle. In the middle of what? Whatever comes up. So far, those who have tried to remain faithful and fulfill their obligations to the party have somehow run afoul of Hillman's friends in the MVD. Those who have switched their allegiance to Hillman have been dealt with by the committee. Doesn't sound like a great future. We're hoping, Comrade Svetik, that you will be more clever and luckier than those who have preceded you. If I'd been luckier, you'd never have called me. <laughs> Perhaps we thought you were more clever. That crack doesn't make me feel either lucky or clever. And if I didn't like the setup before, I want no part of it now. This is strictly a pigeon trap, and I'm the pigeon. There's no backing out. While these thoughts are racing through my mind, Rice calls Comrade Miller in and orders him to take me to Comrade Hillman. Then we walk through a miserable, foggy night to a dingy waterfront office where I meet Comrade Hillman. Well, Comrade Miller, what do I owe the uh, pleasure of this visit? I brought you an assistant, Comrade Hillman. Another? The control committee feels that Comrade Svetik could learn a lot from watching your operations. I see. Well, in that case, welcome to the waterfront, Comrade Svetik. Thank you, Comrade Hillman. Where would the control committee like to have Comrade Svetik start? Oh, we'll leave that to you. You'll be sure he gets a clear picture of everything you're doing here. That goes without saying, Comrade. Oh, good. I will expect to hear from you later this evening, Comrade Svetik. All right. I'll see that he gets away in plenty of time. Thank you. <laughs> Did I miss something <laughs> funny, Comrade <Hillman? laughs> oh, Something very funny, Comrade Svetik. 
<laughs> well, if you're not going to let me in on it, maybe you'd better start briefing me on the project. Oh, well, it's quite simple. Our job has a dual purpose. To infiltrate the waterfront with party members and so be in a position to delay the shipping of war goods. And uh, to fatten the party's finances. How's that done? By taking over unions and siphoning off dues? <laughs> Nothing so petty, comrade. Our party members on the docks have access to warehouses where quantities of valuable goods are stored. These goods we distribute through party-controlled manufacturing and retail outlets at uh, considerable profit. You mean the Communist Party is officially sponsoring these waterfront thefts? Oh, certainly not, Comrade Svetik. Well? I've set up a separate organization to handle this business, an organization which you, as my assistant, will head. And if anything goes wrong, I'm the patsy, huh? Well, there's always that chance. However, according to the newspapers, these wholesale thefts are all part of the uh, unsavory waterfront mess. In other words, the party gets the money. Someone else gets the blame. That's about right. It's a perfect setup. But now fools like Comrade Miller want this gold mine stopped. Well, I haven't been told anything about any part of this. What's their reasoning? The big heat's on and they're afraid. You're going to have to choose sides before tomorrow night, Comrade Svetik. What do you mean? The control committee has put you in a spot where you can't stay neutral. You're either with me or you're against me. You don't have much time to choose. I don't have much choice either, do I? <laughs> oh, yes. You can choose between Comrade Miller, who handles waterfront discipline for the control committee, and Comrade Brosky performs the same duties for my friends in the MVD. They're both magicians when it comes to making men disappear. While I'm considering the unlovely choice that Comrade Hillman has offered me, a chance to disappear at the hands of either the control committee or the MVD, he goes on to the next step in communist technique, the technique which offers inescapable punishment possible reward to any person or country whose cooperation is needed. The possible reward he offered me was definitely negative, a mere possible chance to avoid trouble. This operation, Comrade Svetik, is temporary and picayune in comparison to my regular job. I understand that you had all the party's commercial enterprises. Oh, yes, you name it. I operated. Would you like to be part of it? Well, sounds like a spot where a guy could pick up a fast buck for himself. Without crossing party interest. <laughs> well, the party's never suffered. And uh, I've done very well for myself. Really? Yeah, yeah. But don't get any ideas about denouncing me, comrade. I would deny it. It would be your word against mine. And I have some very powerful friends in both the Comintern and the MVD. I have some friends on the control committee. Naturally. Your predecessors had friends, too. Yet none of them survived a single report that recommended action against me. Quite a coincidence. Yes, coincidence. Now, what do you intend to report to the committee? That, so far, you've been very helpful and informative, Comrade Hillman. <laughs> yeah, we'll be sure you don't go any farther than that, huh? We'll discuss this again in the morning, after you've made your report. After I've made my report. Nice spot, isn't it? Hillman's as good as told me that he's using the party for his own financial gain, but I can't prove it. And if I try, 
Hillman's MVD friends will knock me off. As far as I can see, there's only one thing for me to do, and that's run for it. Then just as I leave the waterfront, a car pulls up in front of me and the door's thrown open. And inside says, get in, Svetic. There's nothing else I can do, so I get in. I'm Ryan Svetic with a bureau here in New York. Here are my credentials. How did you know I was here? One of our men covering your airport saw you board the plane there and phoned ahead. We've had a tail on you ever since you landed in New York. After Ryan hears my report, he asks me to stay with the assignment and to string along with Hillman. We've known about this waterfront business for some time, Matt, but we don't have enough men to cover every dock and warehouse every night. I can understand that. Be a real blow to the rents if you could help us catch them in the act. Hillman particularly. We could jail the gang involved, confiscate their property. Be a real big step toward buttoning up the waterfront operation. Well, I'll see what I can do. I can't understand why the committee hasn't arranged to have Hillman just disappear. Say. Yeah? Hillman must have a friend on the committee. He tips him off on reports made against him. If I knew who that guy was, We'll put I... a 24-hour tail on Hillman immediately and see who contacts him after you've made this first report. After Ryan gives me an emergency phone number to call, just in case, he lets me out. And I go before the committee and make my non-committal report on Comrade Hillman. I try to say nothing that can be used against me by either side. I'm apparently successful. At any rate, the committee doesn't reprimand me. And when I walk into Hillman's office the next morning, I get a very friendly reception. Well, your report was very satisfactory to me, Comrade Svedek. I think we'll get along. I hope the committee's satisfied, too. According to my information, there weren't any openly adverse comments. They may question me more closely next time. They want this warehouse looting stopped before the party's publicly involved. This waterfront operation is much more important than a few dollars. Well, you'll know all the answers, but I don't think you'll give them to the committee. I know that. But how can you be so sure? <laughs> because before you leave this office, you're going to call the party's trucking company and order eight vans to be at Warehouse 23 at 10.30 tonight. Go on. At 10.15 tonight, you will go to Warehouse 23. There you'll be contacted by a man who'll identify himself as Comrade Brosky, warehouse watchman. Oh, that's convenient. Oh, very. As soon as the trucks arrive, you will help Comrade Brosky load them with the warehouse goods he indicates. You aren't afraid of my getting this evidence and turning it against you? No, Comrade. Because before you leave here, you're also going to call the committee and clear the use of the trucks, certifying that they're to be used for regular party business. Now, I don't think you'll give me any trouble. No. I don't believe I will. Good. Make your phone calls and then go and get some rest. We're going to have a busy night ahead of us. I have a busy night ahead of me, all right. And when it's all over, Hillman will be able to shift the party's disciplinary action from himself to me. Because this theft will be my responsibility. After clearing the trucks, while Hillman listens, I go out and away from the waterfront... And as soon as I think I'm safe, I call the emergency number that Ryan gave me and make my report to the FBI. This is the break we've been looking for, Matt. Well, the, the break I'm looking for is a chance to get out of this with my neck. Yeah, I can imagine. Say, we think we learned the identity of Hillman's contact on the committee. Who is it? A guy named Justin. According to our operative, he's the only committee member known to us who's contacted Hillman since you made your report. Well, that's good news. Yeah? At least you know your enemy. Yeah, and that may be the break I'm looking for, as well as the one the Bureau wants. Oh? What do you have in mind, Matt? 
Well, it isn't clear yet. It may not work at all. I'll call you back this afternoon. That's the first portion of I Was a Communist for the FBI. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Sarah Knight Adamson. I'm the national film critic for the website sarahsbackstagepass.com. I'm a member of the Broadcast Film Critics Association in L.A. and a voting member of the Critics' Choice Film Awards. Coming up next, you'll hear a film review of a movie that's playing near you. A Star is Born, rated R. It's a drama with themes of romance and music by Warner Brothers Picture. Bradley Cooper directs. He also has writing credit and co-stars as Jackson Maine, a highly successful singer and guitar player with an addictive drinking and drug problem. Lady Gaga stars as Allie, a working-class girl with a strong voice and a knack for songwriting. Let's take a listen. Can I ask you a personal question? Okay. Tell me something, girl. Do you write songs or anything? I don't sing my own songs. Why? I just don't feel comfortable. Why wouldn't you feel comfortable? Almost every single person has told me they liked the way I sounded, but that they didn't like the way I look. I think you're beautiful. Jackson sees her talent and urges her to take the spotlight. Here's another clip. Here's what we're gonna do. You come sing that song that I love. No, I can't do that. The bottom line, I'm all in. Four stars out of four. Wow, what a great movie. This is Oscar-worthy for sure. I've seen the film twice now and loved it more the second time. During the Q&A with director Bradley Cooper, he told us that he wanted to direct for a long time and thought this story would be a good one. It has family, it has love, fame, and heartache. You'll get chills viewing the touching moments in this film and listening to the amazing soundtrack. Check out all of my reviews and interviews on sarahsbackstagepass.com. See you next week. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to I Was a Communist for the FBI. I have an idea, all right. If I'm lucky and it works, I'll be a party hero. Everything depends on the accuracy of the FBI's assumption that Comrade Houston is Hillman's contact on the committee. It isn't easy to keep the nervous quiver out of my voice when I talk to Comrade Rice. Why aren't you with Comrade Hillman, Comrade Svetik? I can't tell you that, Comrade Rice, until you agree to one condition. What is it? Before I make any statement, bring Comrade Houston here and hold him incommunicado until tomorrow morning. But Comrade Houston's a member of the control committee. I know that. And I want you to arrest him. And me. Before I tell you anything more. This is a weird request. It's a weird situation. And if I refuse it? Then I don't know a thing, Comrade. I think I see what you're driving at, Comrade Svetik. And since you've asked to be placed under arrest, too, I'll accept your condition. I hope for your sake that your information concerning Comrade Houston is correct. Now, what's your charge against him? He's your information leak to Hillman. Can you prove it? I hope so. At any rate, he gave Hillman the details of my report to the committee, a report I deliberately made non-committal. This is still just words. I'll give you more than just words. After my report, 
Hillman took me into his confidence to the extent of ordering me to steal a shipment of merchandise from Warehouse 23 at 10.30 tonight. Is that what you cleared those trucks for? That's right. With Hillman standing right next to me. But how could he expect to get away with it? Justin is the key. As long as he was free to warn Hillman, you could never catch them. They must have been splitting up a large share of the loot. Oh. But how can we catch Hillman in the act? Couldn't Justin be persuaded to call Hillman at the last moment tonight and tell him that you had placed me under arrest? That Hillman will have to supervise the job himself? Comrade Justin can be persuaded to do anything. As to whether or not Hillman will accept his suggestion, well, uh, your future depends on that. Now I start to real sweat. Comrade Rice has accepted my plan so readily that I begin to wonder if maybe he's Hillman's contact. And when he tells me to go to my hotel room alone, I watch my step crossing every street for fear he has an accident planned for me. Nothing happens the first three or four blocks, though. I can't find a shadow trailing me, so I duck into a phone booth and call the FBI. Brian speaking. This is Matt. Go ahead. I won't be at the warehouse. Thanks. We'll clean it up. At my hotel, I'm joined by Comrade Miller, the control committee muscle man. We spend the afternoon and evening playing cards, but my mind isn't on it. I'm thinking of Hillman and Rice and the FBI and what'll happen to me if anything goes wrong. Ah, beats me again. You know, for a guy who says he doesn't have his mind in the game, Comrade, you play a lot of Romy. Well, I've been lucky. You'll be more than lucky if your tip to the committee works out. Yeah. It is almost 11. You should know something very soon. Oh, shut up, will you? Sure. Whose deal is it? Oh, I don't care. I don't care. All right. I'll deal. Didn't you say Comrade Rice told you that he'd be here by 11? You've got a couple of minutes here. Don't rush the undertaker. Why did you say that? Say what? About the undertaker. Do you know something that I don't? What are you talking about? Look at your cards. But I... I Look, wanna... comrade, in your spot, you either win or you lose. So forget your problems. Play cards. I'll get it. Stay away from the door. Huh? Comrade Rice is holding me responsible for you being here when he arrives. One way or another, you will be here. I'll get the door. Where is he? Oh. Well, comrade Svetik. Yes? You are right. You caught Hillman in the act. We saw him, but the FBI caught him. The FBI? Yes. The greedy idiot cost the party more tonight than he ever earned for it. The FBI caught him, Comrade Brusky, and the eight truck drivers. They'll give Hillman a chance to talk to save himself. He'll tell them everything he knows about the party and its operations. That sounds like quite a mess. The FBI must have had pretty complete information. Very complete information, obviously. I wonder... What? Comrade Justin, if he worked against the party to tip off Hillman, I think I'll have another talk with Justin. You think he tipped off the FBI? Very probably. In fact, they might even be on their way here right now. You'd better return to your home immediately, Comrade Svetik, before you're dragged into this too. We're very grateful to you. The control committee's grateful to me. I want to laugh hysterically, because I hate the committee, and I fear it too. And as I said earlier, fear and hate 
are the principal bases of communism. Fear your comrades and hate the free world. I love the free world, but I'm barred from it. And I do hate the comrades. So, I walk alone. This is Dana Andrews, friends. In the story you just heard, names, dates, and places are fictitious to protect innocent persons. Many of these stories are based on incidents in the life of Matt Savetic, who worked undercover for the FBI. Next week, another fantastic adventure. Join us then, won't you? And that's I Was a Communist for the FBI from May 17, 1953, with the Red Octopus starring Dana Andrews with Truman Bradley doing the announcing. That was a syndicated series. In just a few minutes, we'll tune into The Adventures of Maisie from 1950. But I want to remind everybody about Remind Magazine. Now, the October issue is on newsstands, and you can get it at any Barnes & Noble store or any Walmart store. And it's got all kinds of monsters and mayhem on the cover because of Halloween coming up here pretty soon. Check out the new issue of Remind Magazine. You will love it. I write an article for it. And we also have our full schedule for Hollywood 360 in there. Check it out. Go to RemindMagazine.com. That's RemindMagazine.com. And I want to remind you to sign up for the Classic Radio Club. We have a club now for all of our listeners. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. Make sure you join. And when you do, you'll get your first 10 Classic Radio 5 CD collection, normally a $39.95 value for only $4.99. Go to our website, ClassicRadioClub.com. Check it out, ClassicRadioClub.com. All right, it's time now for the adventures of Maisie and Southern Stars as Maisie Revere. Let's go back to October 19, 1950. This is called Mrs. Hargrave's Banquet, Part 1 of the Adventures of Maisie. Hiya, babe. Say, how about a little kick? Ouch. Does that answer your question, buddy? The Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern. You all remember Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's famous Maisie pictures. In just a moment, you'll hear Maisie in radio, starring the same glamorous star you all went to see and loved on the screen, Anne Southern. And now, here's Anne Southern as Maisie. Yep, I'm Maisie, like the fellow just said, Maisie Revere. A long time ago, I entered an amateur contest because I wanted to go in show business. I remember I did an acrobatic act where I kicked the back of my head. Hmm. I guess I kicked it a little too hard because ever since that I've been in show business. Anyway, this morning my agent called me from the phone booth, which is his office. It seems that some rich society matron was given a big banquet out in her mansion in upstate New York, and she needed an act, so I was hired. The banquet isn't set until 10 tonight, but I decided to start out early because traveling schedules are so uncertain these days, especially when you're hitchhiking. So when I finally arrived in the town where Mrs. Hargraves lives and struggled a few miles up the private road that leads to this oversized country club she calls home, I was so tired I had to back up and take a run and start to press the doorbell. Yes? 
Oh, good afternoon, honey. I'm Major Revere. Max sent me. Max? Max Howard. Oh, the theatrical agent. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I'd like to see Mrs. Hargraves. I am she. Oh, well, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't think you rich dames ever did your own door opening. <laughs> Disgusting, isn't it, my dear? Yeah. But you probably know the inferior caliber of servants one gets nowadays. Oh, yes. Aren't they just too, too lousy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, um, Mrs. Hargraves, just how much do I get for my performance tonight? Max forgot to mention the money. Money? Miss Revere, tonight's affair is a benefit. No wonder he forgot to mention it. Yes, my dear. You see, I am extending the use of my home to raise funds for my favorite charity. Oh, what is it? To build a home for destitute polo players? <laughs> Hardly, my dear. We intend to use the proceeds to enlarge the facilities of our local orphanage. Orphanage? Yes, Miss Revere. Oh. There are just oodles of unfortunates in the world who don't know where their next meal is coming from. You ain't kidding. Okay, honey, you can include me in. Oh, then you will perform tonight. That's very kind of you, Miss Revere. Well, you're the one who's very kind, Mrs. Hargraves. Not many people in your circumstances would knock themselves out for a lot of unhappy kids who came into the world with two strikes on them. This town should remember and appreciate what you're doing, Mrs. Hargraves. Uh, yes, so my publicity agent assured me. Oh, you have a publicity agent for your charities, huh? The best money can buy, my dear. Mm. He even arranged to have Senator Hungerford fly down from Washington to be our guest speaker. Uh, the senator just returned from Europe, you know. Didn't know. <laughs> Sounds like it's going to be a million laughs. Uh, yes, and my publicity agent was the one who thought of the bizarre idea of having the children of the orphanage wait on the tables. Uh, the older ones, naturally. Oh, naturally. The toddling ones couldn't hold as much on the trays. Oh, Mrs. Hargraves, I got a message. Oh, oh, pardon me, I didn't know you had company. Oh, do come in, Jerry. Uh, Miss Revere, this is Jerry uh, something or other. He's one of our dear orphans. Uh, Jerry, this is Miss Revere. Oh, how do you do? <whistles> well, one of the older boys, no doubt. <laughs> Hi, Jerry. Wow. Uh, what are you doing in here, boy? You what? should be in the banquet room with the rest of the waiters, rehearsing your serve from the left, removed from the right. Oh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Hargraves, but I just came in to give you a telephone message. Senator Hungerford just phoned. He, he ran out of gas. Ran out of gas? Mm -hmm. You mean he don't even have enough left to make a speech tonight? His private plane was forced down out in Carterville someplace. No fuel. Oh, but this is but awful. Now I'll have to call off the banquet. Jerry, hmm? this is an emergency. Can't you think of somebody who could start things off with a nice fat donation? Oh, well, let's see. Uh, there's uh, Ben Gibbs. The junk dealer? Yeah, he made millions. Yeah, that's a lot of junk. I don't like junk. Mr. Gibbs is sweet on you, Mrs. Hargraves. See, he likes junk. What? Uh, I mean, well, we got to have somebody make the speech, Mrs. Hargraves, to, to start the ball rolling. Oh, I wonder if we could possibly persuade Elias Edwards. The president of the bank? Yes, I, I've never been introduced formally to Mr. Edwards. Oh, he's so handsome and so single. Ah, oh, he's a stuffed shirt. Yeah, but Mrs. Hargraves likes what it's stuffed with. Oh. <laughs> well, what do you say, Mrs. Hargraves? How's about calling this Mr. Edwards and asking him to speech the guests into loosening up their money belt. Oh, why, 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 it couldn't possibly approach a man I've never been introduced to, Miss Revere. Yeah, I, I guess it's no use, Miss Revere. Mr. Edwards is pretty unapproachable. Not for me, he ain't. I'll talk to Mr. Edwards. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Miss Revere, you can appreciate my position. After all, a woman like myself does have her dignity. 
Well, a woman like me don't. My dignity was removed years ago with my tonsils. But, Mr. Edwards, don't you understand? I don't want you to do much. Just make one crummy speech. And I'm sure you're just the man that can do it. Well, thank you so much for your confidence, Miss Revere, but I can't do it tonight. I'm leaving in a few minutes for California. The trout are biting like crazy, they tell me. Hmm, with the kind of heart you've got, you'd probably bite back. Mr. Edwards, since when are fish more important than people? Uh, Mr. Edwards, sir, I... Uh, what is it, Wilkins? I have all your fishing gear packed, sir, but I can't close the suitcase. I tried sitting on it, sir. Well, I've got to have that thing locked and ready. My train leaves in 20 minutes. I'll go in and we'll both sit on it, Wilkins. Yeah, two heads are better than one. I'm awfully sorry, Miss Revere, but, uh, well, I guess I've got fish in my blood. Really? Are they swimming upstream or downstream? Oh, oh that's very good. <laughs> Wilkins? Yes, of course. I don't really get it, sir. Mr. Edwards, um, what's the biggest fish you ever caught? Oh, about 25 pounds. Well, how would you like to land one that weighs in the neighborhood of 160? Would I? Gosh, that'd look wonderful mounted on the wall over my mantelpiece. That I gotta say. Uh, of course, I don't have the equipment to land anything like that. Well... Mrs. Hargraves thinks you have. She thinks you're the handsomest, most intelligent, most brilliant man that ever spoke at a charity banquet. Hey, look, I can't speak at any bear. Ooh, she does. Uh-huh. She's the most attractive widow in town. Yeah, I hear that she's worth millions. Uh, I mean, uh, that's interesting. I'll have to meet this Mrs. Hargraves. Well, swell. Uh, right after I get back from my fishing trip. Ah. Uh, all right for you, Mr. Edwards. I'll get Ben Gibbs to be the guest speaker. Old junk man Gibbs make a speech? Why, that ignoramus can't even write his name. Maybe not, but he can make other people write their names on checks, I hope. Goodbye, Mr. Edwards, and I hope... Well, I hope you get knots in your lines. Hmm. How can a person get so angry over nothing? Mrs. Hargrave, eh? <laughs> Oh, Wilkins. Uh, you call, sir? Uh, yes, uh, Wilkins. Have you ever seen a woman called Mrs. Hargrave? She's new to our community, I believe. Oh, yes, sir. She's the frightfully wealthy widowed lady who resides in that huge estate on Spruce Street. You mean the one with the huge veranda? Yes, sir. That's Mrs. Hargraves. She's quite charming, however I've been told. Uh, she's unmarried, of course. Oh, yes, sir. Three times, I believe. And gossip has it that each one of her husbands left her, if you'll pardon the expression, sir, loaded. Yes, quite charming. It's too bad the lady has to depend on Ben Gibbs as guest speaker at her big charity dinner. Yes, sir. Shall I unpack, sir? Yes, I'm going to make that speech tonight. Ben Gibbs has enough money already. Well, I'd better get out my copy of Ogilvy. Ogilvy, sir? Ogilvy's 50 speeches for any 50 occasions. There must be one in there that'll impress Mrs. Hargrave. I mean, soften up the guest again. Uh, get me the book, Wilkins. It's in the library. Uh, the secret panel on the third shelf. Oh, yes, sir. I remember, sir. Where you hide your comic book, sir. Gosh, Miss Revere, you ain't fooling about this. You want I should be guest speaker at Melissa's clam bank? That's right, Mr. Gibbs. Yeah, Mrs. Hargraves wanted an intelligent, cultured, and educated man to make the speech. Yeah, but we settled for you. Gosh, this is indeed an honor. Well, Mrs. Hargraves wasn't too happy. Huh? About asking you to give up your valuable time tonight. Yeah, yeah. She, she realizes that you're you're much in demand as a, a speaker. Knowing so much about junk like you do. Oh, yeah. yeah. I made two million that last year. <laughs> Got five dump yards. Yeah, nobody can even come close to Ben Gibbs. I know. 
Jerry, open a window, please, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it might help. Uh, of course, uh, Mr. Gibbs, I thought, I mean, that Mrs. Hargraves thought that it would, well, sort of start the contributions coming in if you were... Gave the first one, say, 10000 10000 Uh Well, Mrs. Hargraves didn't expect you to give as much as Mr. Edwards. Why not, huh? I can buy and sell that show off any day. I'll give 20000 20 You think that'll make Mrs. Hargraves see what kind of guy I am? She's real class, you know, real class. Yeah, and so appreciative, too, when it comes to contributions for the orphans. Jerry, uh-huh. uh, do you remember what Mrs. Hargraves did when Mr. Edwards gave his check in advance for, um... Uh, $25,000? 25000 Uh, Mr. Revere, I don't remember. But I do. She kissed him. She did? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I mean, she did. Yeah. Gosh, for yeah. a kiss, I'd have given 50000 That's what I hope. Now, you're going to get your chance tonight, Mr. Gibbs. You give that kind of dough and you're going to get a kiss, even if I have to do it myself. <laughs> yeah, now... You got any speech to start the other contributions, Mr. Gibbs? Yeah. Well, now, no, let's see. Um, I'll say, uh, ladies and gentlemen. That's always a good beginning. What do you say after that? After that, I'm stuck. Uh, I was a little afraid of that. Oh, say, I got a book of great speeches. It was given to me when I won the public speaking contest at the orphanage. It's called Ogilvy's 50 Speeches for 50 Occasions. Oh, that's great, Jerry. We'll pick one out for Mr. Gibbs to memorize and use tonight. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the message I want to bring you tonight. I thank you. Applause, please, Wilkins. Oh, yes, sir. If I may say so, sir, you did a marvelous job of memorizing it in such short order. Yeah, when something has to be done, Wilkins, it must be done. After all, Mrs. Hargrave's money, I mean charity, is calling for me. Oh, yes. Uh, yes, sir. Wilkins, run down to Ben Gibbs' junkyard and tell that Miss Revere she needn't bother with Gibbs for the banquet. I have decided to be guest speaker. Oh, yes, sir. At once, sir. Uh, while you're gone, I think I'll run through my speech a few more times. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, from the Straits of Singapore to the snow-capped mountains of Alaska, from the desert sands of Arabia to the green glens of Scotland, from the... That's the first portion of The Adventures of Maisie from October 19, 1950. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. I've started the Classic Radio Club, where each month you'll receive 10 of the greatest shows of all time on five CDs in a collector case. Join now and receive your first five-CD collection of 10 classic radio shows, regularly priced at $39.95 for only $4.99. Each month I'll hand-select 10 more of the greatest classic radio shows of all time from my library of 100,000 shows and send them to you on five CDs. And I promise they'll be superior sound quality and you'll never receive a duplicate show. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com and we'll rush you your first five-CD collection with ten of the greatest classic radio shows of all time for only $4.99. Your first collection will feature Abbott and Costello, Sam Spade, Dimension X, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, Inner Sanctum, Jack Benny, and Suspense. You're going to love the Classic Radio Club. Learn how to join at ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. 
And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to The Adventures of Maisie, starring Anne Southern. And then we'll tune into The Shadow, starring Bill Johnstone as Lamont Cranston. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.